When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. For today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about Candyman. This is actually the reboot trailer for the Candyman movie. Also, I would like to actually say maybe a sequel as well because of the fact of some of the things that's actually mentioned in the trailer. But I'm going to get to that in a few minutes with my trailer review. But this film is actually directed by Nia DaCosta and also written and produced by Jordan Peele. Then... I'm going to be focusing on Scott Derrickson. If you don't know who Scott Derrickson is, he's actually the director who directed the very first Doctor Strange movie from Marvel, and he left over creative differences a few weeks ago for uh, Doctor Strange 2. So now, in an interview, some people asked him, you know, would you be interested in actually making a film outside of the Marvel Universe? And he said, yeah, he would actually be interested in doing a Constantine movie. So I'm going to be talking about that. Then, with topic number three, Ben Affleck has announced that, you know, the Accountant sequel could be a TV series. I'm going to get into that. And then, Steven Spielberg departs Indiana Jones 5. And then, after that, I just got done binge-watching a show off of Netflix called I Am Not Okay With This. This this show is actually starring uh, the girl from Stephen King's It, the girl who plays Beverly. And then, you also have... The actor who plays Stan in it as well. And, of course, he actually plays a character named Stan in this show. So, I'm going to be talking about that. So, let's go ahead and talk about Candyman, the trailer review trailer that I saw for today. And I just want to say this. I was excited at the fact that, you know, Jordan Peele is actually not directing this film. It gives some fresh blood, no pun intended, for other directors to go ahead and get behind the lens of a camera and go on ahead and do their whole entire spin on this reboot. And I have to say, Nia DaCosta looks like she actually knows what she's doing. She actually has the mythology of Candyman Down Path. Not only that, but, you know, to know that this film was actually produced by Jordan Peele and also written by Jordan Peele with his uh, fingerprints on the script and everything, it definitely shows in the trailer as well. But back to what I was saying about Nia DaCosta getting the mythology right. The starting lineup of this whole entire thing starts where you have teenagers reciting uh, Candyman's name five times. And I actually like the whole entire fact is they're using the mirror. They're actually using a 2020 type of vibe to tell this story. Because don't forget, Candyman, all three of those films have been out for years and not only that, but you don't even have to worry about even focusing in on the other two films because those have nothing to do with it. They're using the continuity from the very first film to tell this story. As a matter of fact, this is like a reboot slash sequel, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, the whole entire principle of the of the Candyman is the fact that you say his name five times, he winds up killing you, and then if there's somebody else inside the same room with you, that person takes the fall for your murder. When it was really the Candyman that actually did it. And, you know, like I said, it starts off with these girls staring into a mirror, saying his name five times. And then there's this girl in the ba- bathroom stall. And she takes, I have, I'm just have this one failing that she's going to be the one who takes the fall for, for the murder of those girls. 
but that's just me going off the top of my head thinking what's going to actually happen. Don't forget, this is only a three-minute trailer, so of course it's not going to actually give me the whole entire layout of what the movie's going to be. But that's what I'm going off of. Then you also have, what I like about this is the fact that, you know, you have another character that reminds me of Helen from the very first Candyman movie that's actually investigating the mythology behind Candyman and also if he's real or not. And this character is actually the baby of the very first Candyman movie. He's all grown up now and everything, and he's actually investigating this. And then his mom, who's played by Vanessa Williams, which I actually find fascinating at the fact that they're using the same character, the same actress who played his mom in the very first Candyman movie. And, you know, you can tell that she's actually spooked out by this because of the fact that, you know, he's mentioning Candyman. She tells him, shh. Do not even mention his name. I do not want to know his name or anything like that. And it just shows how spooked out she is over the fact that she believes in Candyman. She she actually believes in the mythology behind the mayor of Candyman. And to know that she shouldn't be actually... He shouldn't have actually be saying that name around her. And then also, too, what I liked, to, liked about this as well is the fact that they are going to still use Tony Todd... But my question is this, where are they actually going to use Tony Todd at? And there's a couple places that you can actually tell where he might actually, they might actually use him. For example, you can actually probably see an image of the new character that's being introduced. And I'm not even, I can't say the actor's name or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I forgot the actor's name. But you can actually see whenever he's looking in the reflection of the of the window of this SUV or this car, and you can actually see and the de aging special effects of what um, of Tony Todd, and it's like a younger version of Tony Todd from the nineteen nineties. Not only that, but I love the fact too that they're using the mirrors to actually mirror in no pun intended of how they're actually using the Candyman as well. Because of the fact that you don't actually see him, he's kind of like this shadow in the dark where he's actually pulling at someone, trying to kill them while they're trying to get away, but nobody can actually see them or anything like that. And they're also, and you can only see him through the mirror of what he's doing to his victim. I love that aspect of it. I love the fact that they're actually using that dark and creepy vibe to it. And then also, too, you know, we, we actually do get to see a transformation of this new character turning into what we know as Candyman. And you can actually tell that Tony Todd is actually going to be t uh, giving him the reins to be the new Candyman because of the fact that we actually see someone sawing off this new character's hand and then placing the hook where his hand used to be. So therefore, that what I'm thinking is Tony Todd is yet again is going to be showing up as a cameo in that one part. Because it actually makes sense in a way because of the fact that he's too old now to be playing Candyman or whatever. But to pass the reins off to this new actor is just really cool to actually see how they're actually going to do it. And, like I mentioned before, he cuts off their hand. He winds up becoming the new Candyman. The transformation is pretty much done. And, you know, this is the same thing type of thing that we actually saw from Helen where she comes out of the fire with... The uh, kid with the baby, with the baby, which is also the new character, and you know, the mother winds up taking the baby and everything, and Helen winds up dying. And yes, I did give a spoiler. The movie's been out over maybe thirty years now. If you haven't seen it, you might not have any interest in seeing it. You might not even be inter interested in this reboot. 
But the whole point of the fact is, you know, Helen winds up dying and she winds up teaming up and being with Candyman and everything. But still, the mythology behind Candyman, the whole entire aspect of this, how scary this thing looks, it looks like scary, it looks intense. And it looks like that they're actually using the suspense level of this movie trailer. I'm a huge fan of mythology films, especially urban legends and stuff. So this movie's right up my alley. I was eating it up every single bit of it because I'm a huge fan of the Candyman franchise. I don't didn't really care for the third Candyman movie, but the first two films I really enjoyed. But the one that I can that I can actually say that actually got under my skin a lot as a kid was the very first Candyman because of how dark, how how horrifying that movie actually was during its time. And, you know, the practical effects that they actually used for that Candyman movie was really good. And then also, too, I was also one of those people that went down into the basement of my school because that's actually where the third grade bathroom was. And I was actually one of those girls that, well, not girls, but I was a guy (laughs) inside the guy's bathroom and saying the Candyman name five times and all of a sudden I heard a noise in the background and I took off so to actually have that kind of aspect where these girls were inside the bathroom and everything I couldn't help but flash back to my third grade year of doing that and running off before I could even find out what it, what it was so I like that whole entire idea that they actually use I think Nia da Costa is someone that you're going to actually be on the lookout for because I think after this movie I think that she's going to get a lot more work. It's good to see that Jordan Peele actually trusts her with this, and I cannot wait to see it. So, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and go to topic number two. Scott Derrickson is interested in helming a Constantine movie. In an interview, he they were he the interviewers asked him this: "What would you like to do outside of the Marvel universe? Is there anything that you would like to actually work on?" And he said, "Yes. As a matter of fact, I would actually want to be." working on Constantine and to be honest with you I think that he did such a fantastic job with Doctor Strange getting the whole entire vibe of the character and understanding the character and also too throwing in all those other elements to the character where it's very trippy elements to it and actually understanding who Doctor Strange is and diving into his character and the effects were really good whenever um this movie was made and i gotta say i had a great time watching dr strange for him to want to do a constantine movie i say go on ahead give him the money warner brothers go on ahead give him a 150 million dollar budget or maybe a little bit less and see what he can do with it because i'm going to be honest with you if he can do that what, what he could do with magic with dr strange he can do that 10 times more with constantine because don't get me wrong, I love the Keanu Reeves movie and stuff like that, but it's been years since we actually saw another Constantine movie. And don't get me wrong, I love the character off of the Arrowverse and also off of the very the actor who played Constantine on TV. But nothing beats a movie rather than a TV series. And I would love to see this being adapted back into the big screen again so that way everybody can actually get the vibe of Constantine all over. Again, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't mind seeing Keanu Reeves reprise his role as Constantine because the problem, and if you had problems with Constantine and everything, the problem wasn't Keanu Reeves, it was the script itself if you had a problem with it. But, you know, for me personally, I love Constantine, I love the movie of Constantine, and to see Scott Derrickson have an interest in this, 
you can actually tell that he actually has an eye for really trippy elements and also understanding the character makeup of what that character is, the characteristics characteristics of that character and seeing how that's actually played out. And, you know, I think he can actually knock this thing out of the park whenever you look at Constantine because Constantine is one of those characters who gets who was pretty much on his deathbed and everything his heart stops like three times I believe and then he gets transferred into hell and then all of a sudden that he's brought back and then all of a sudden now he's doing exorcisms he's seeing things outside with of the normal of the supernatural and everything and wants to help other people and he thinks that by him doing all this and everything it's going to get him to heaven so I mean I love that whole entire thing and I think Scott Derrickson is actually the right director to actually do this type of thing because we actually saw what he could do with Doctor Strange and he also gave Doctor Strange this kind of dark vibe to him too because whenever Doctor Strange got into that car accident and of course we already know the story where he couldn't hold a scalpel in his hand to save his life anymore because of the damage of the car accident and we got to see Doctor Strange actually struggle with that and I would love to see him actually put that struggle with Constantine where he's actually trying to live a normal life. But at the same time, that supernatural element is also taking over him to where he can't actually live a normal life because he's seeing demons. He's seeing other things outside of that realm. And then I want to see like maybe in the middle of the movie, maybe in act two, where we can actually see maybe he's actually getting used to the whole entire supernatural element to the point where he's like, you know what? I'm not afraid of this. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to actually be the person that I, that everybody actually knew me from the comics and he's going to go in full force with it. And that's what I really want to see with that. And then, you know, like I said, Scott Derrickson, I think that he is a great director as far as that goes with Dr. Strange and for him to want to do a DC property, I say go on ahead and let him do it. I think that he has, the edge for it i think he has the willpower to actually give us a great uh, constantine movie so going ahead let him enjoy it and everything while he can going ahead even though it's sad to say that you know marvel didn't see eye to eye with the direction that he wanted to go in but then again you know they could always get another director to replace him and everything and do just as good a job Edgar Wright was actually replaced with Ant-Man, and look how great that that movie came out and everything. So, and they also want to put Sam Raimi in there now in place of Scott Derrickson. And I think that putting um, Sam Raimi in there to give you that little horror vibe to it, because that's actually what they're going to be using, I think it's actually a good replacement for uh, Scott Derrickson. And I think Scott Derrickson will actually be able to do a Constantine movie very well. So, tell me what you guys think about that. Do you like the idea of Scott Derrickson doing a Constantine movie? Let me know, because I think that, you know, it's a great, great thing. So, now I'm going to go into topic number three, and that is Ben Affleck's accounting sequel. Could be a TV series. And, you know, I really love the very first movie of The Accountant. And I have to say, Ben Affleck did a very, very good job and of playing this autistic guy who is very complicated and also, too, lives a double life of being an accountant. But at the same time, he's actually a, an assassin who winds up taking different jobs to take down different people 
and everything too. And then also too, John Brunthal's in it. This whole entire thing is really is a really great movie. And I'll give you a little bit of background of what the actual movie's about. Even though I gave you a little bit of a small thing, but I want to go into the full synopsis of it. And it's about this guy named Christian Wolf, who's played by Ben Affleck. It's a mathematics mathematics uh, savant with more effectively for numbers than people. Using a small town CPA office as a cover, he makes his living as a freelance accountant for dangerous criminal organizations with Treasury a- agent J.K. Simmons hot on his heels. Christian t- uh, takes on a state-of-the-art robotics company as a legitimate client as Wolf gets closer to the truth about a discre- discrepancy that involves millions of dollars, the body count starts to rise. So you have a little bit of suspense, you have a little bit of action, and not only that, but Ben also delivers on the layers aspect too. Like I mentioned before, he's actually autistic. He has to have things in a certain order. He has a routine that he actually has to, he does every single day. And, you know, I really have to say, I mean... This movie was really well done, and I, I even own this on Blu-ray, and Ben Affleck is really good at this movie, but here's the thing. I've been excited for an accountant sequel since the actual movie was released out of theaters, and since I've actually picked it up on Blu-ray, and, you know, there's been talks here and there about, between him and the director and the writers and everything about what they want to do with the accountant, what, and if they want to make it a movie or not. And now they're talking about a TV series. Don't get me wrong. I think spinoffs and everything else are hit and miss when they're actually a part of a movie. And, or even whenever they make a movie based off of a movie. Sometimes they wind up being good. Sometimes they're not. And, you know, I'm actually surprised that Cobra Kai was a- is actually just as good as the Karate Kid movies. Because they actually understand the whole entire characteristics of those characters and stuff like that. And how much they actually care and the thought process that they actually have. But I have to agree with Ben whenever he says this, though. He said that, you know, this character is so complex. And, you know, with him being so complex, this is just me thinking and speculating. Whenever Ben mentions that, that he's so complex is because of his autistic abilities and as well as living a double life and also doing um, other stuff within the whole entire realm of being a hitman or assassin for hire is the fact that, you know, with him being autistic, you know, he is complex. And for them just to go in and throw him into the mix just for another shoot him up type of movie, that's not who that character is because of how complex he is. And I like the fact, too, that they want to take their time to develop this rather than going, going in with this and just taking any script that they can Especially whenever it's outside the element of that character that Ben had pl- Ben plays, and you know that's the main concern too is this like if they do a TV series, is it still going to have that depth? Is it still going to have Ben Affleck starring in this TV series? Who's going to take it over? Is Amazon going to take it over? Is HBO going to take it over? Who's going to take it over? But. Here's the thing. I want them to actually care about the characters, the makeup behind what Ben Affleck's character is. I want them to actually understand this is an artistic kind of character that actually is more complex than what he actually is. Yes, he's a mathematics genius, but uh, but he also has something else to hide behind all that. And that's something that I want to see. I want to see that in a 
TV series. And if they just don't put that into it and just make it a very one-dimensional type of character, it's going to take me right out of the show. But I'm not sure if anybody else is actually going to feel about that. But for me personally, I feel like, you know, that would actually take me out of the show because the character would be one-dimensional. It would just be another shoot 'em up type of show with a hitman with a higher gun, and that's it. And no complexity with the character at all. And then also, too, John Bernthal's a great actor. I really enjoy him as the Punisher. I really liked him in the Accountant movie. I'm not going to give away the plot twist to, uh, to that movie or at all between him and Ben Affleck or anything like that. But, you know, it actually worked in that movie universe with that those two actors working together. And I really have to say that they actually stepped up on both of their A-games when it came down to that movie. But... You know, I'm wondering too, is this going to have the character of of John Bernthal's character? Or is this just going to primarily focus on Ben Affleck's character? If they choose to do so with a TV series. But I'm hoping that they don't go with a TV series route. Because it seems like every single movie now either is a spinoff movie or is actually just a movie with a slap title of the accountant or any other thing that has nothing to do with the actual movie itself is just there because of the fact that people are used to that name so therefore people are going to watch it because of that name and not focus in on what the actual story itself is and not care about the characters or anything like that so that's my main concerns if they do try to adapt it into a tv series but i'm kind of curious about that though what do you guys think about that do you guys like the idea of them making a tv series rather than a sequel to the account, another thing too is this is just a little joke, but I would like to actually see the account versus John Wick. John Wick cheats on his account, uh, on his finances and everything. Then Ben Affleck has to go on ahead and try and take this guy down, and that would actually be a pretty funny thing to actually see. But even though it's not going to happen, but still, you can't help but chuckle at that whole entire aspect of those two actually crossing each other's paths and facing off against each other, but. You know, it is what it is. So, topic number four. Steven Spielberg departs Indiana Jones 5. So, news hit yesterday. And, you know, I have to say, whenever I heard the news that he's going to be departing Indiana Jones 5, I was actually shocked at the fact that he wants to walk away from something that he that him and Lucasfilm had made over years of filming and pass it on to James uh, Mangold. And I'm going to get to James Mangold in a minute. But, you know, I can actually understand Steven Spielberg's point of view in a certain way because I really don't feel like that Steven Spielberg is wanting to do big-budget movies anymore. We had Bridge of Spies that came out a couple of years ago. I would like to say maybe Ready Player One uh, was one of those movies that I really have to say I enjoy the originality behind it. And I've even read the book for Ready Player One, and he did a fantastic job at directing Ready Player One. And even the opening sequence that actually makes you care about being a gamer within that universe that's actually set up in Ready Player One, he did a really good job at actually telling that story the way he told it. And it was a big-budget movie. And I don't think that he's actually wanting to do any more big-budget films anymore. I think he wants to f uh, focus on smaller films. And, you know, 
if he was actually the same director that actually directed Jurassic Park back in the 90s, and what I mean by same type of director, I mean like the same type of filming style that he's actually done back in the 90s with Jurassic Park, and then he decided to make another Indiana Jones movie, I'd be jumping up and down for joy, because number one, you would have Harrison Ford as a young Indiana Jones still. You'd have uh, Steven Spielberg at the top of his prime still, and the movie, I think, would actually primarily focus on a lot more of the whole Nazi thing, I believe, instead of the Crystal Skull plot that they actually had. But, you know, we would actually have a pretty decent film going on into this in the 90s. But now, I, I'm I'm glad that, you know, he's actually walking away. But not only that, but you have James Mangold, who made the, one of the best comic book films in a, in a while. And that is outside of The Dark Knight, of course, and a couple of other movies. But when you look at the movie Logan, it's like a country western type of feel to it. And it's like a western type of vibe, especially the way it was written, especially the way the look of the film. And also, too, he sent Hugh Jackman out on a high note whenever he retired that character. So, this is actually going to be Harrison Ford's last time being Indiana Jones. So, what better way for you to actually retire a character of Indiana Jones and maybe pass on the reins to somebody else than to have James Mangold to actually do that story? Because I think that getting James Mangold in there to actually direct the story the way it needs to be directed and being told, you can actually probably have maybe another Nazi story if you want to have another Nazi story, if you don't want to focus in on the Crystal Skull or anything. But I don't know what exactly the plot is going to be or how they're going to do it. But as far as uh, Mangold goes, I think that he would actually serve the purpose of retiring Harrison's Ford character of Indiana Jones on a high note. Because, don't forget, he re- like I said before, he retired Hugh Jackman on a high note with Wolverine. It was a great Western type of feel to it. I really enjoyed Logan for what it was at the time and everything. And I've even had that on the pantheon of my favorite comic book movies of all time, along with The Dark Knight. Not The Dark Knight Rises. For- We're not going to talk about that. But, you know... I think that he can actually understand Indiana Jones. I think he can actually feel like, okay, Harrison Ford is going to be playing Indiana Jones this one last time, so I need to go on ahead and actually understand his character on what that character will would do if he retired and how he would actually retire that character and also the storytelling of that character and what that character would do in a setting in a certain type of time period. So... You know, I'm actually excited to see what he's going to do. I'm I'm okay with Steven Spielberg uh, stepping away because it gives somebody else another turn to actually tell an Indiana Jones story. And I think that's actually what we need. I think we actually need some fresh blood in Indiana Jones to actually tell this story, to send Harrison Ford off on a high note. I know everybody is saying that Harrison Ford is too old, but, you know, I understand that he's actually older than Sylvester Stallone, but he actually retired Rambo. What I would what I would want to do is I wouldn't want to see them retire Indiana Jones on a high note one more time. See him have that whip in his hand, have that hat that he wears, and then retire and then pass it on to his grandson or maybe Shia LaBeouf. I'm not even and get this Shia LaBeouf is not even going to be in this film. I don't think so. There's that, but I would like to actually see 
a continuation of Indiana Jones or be rebooted of Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford. And I think that would actually be the smarter way to go about it. But tell me what you guys think. Do you like the idea of Steven Spielberg departing and having James Mangold as the director for Indiana Jones? Tell me what you guys have to say about that because I'm kind of curious. And as always, in the description, I'll always have it to where you guys can actually send in a voicemail to tell me what you guys think about the show and stuff like that. So tell me what you guys have to say about that. So now I'm going to be talking about a little show on Netflix that, that got released. It's actually a seven-part episode show, and it's called I Am Not Okay With This. And I have to say, the show, the originality is really good. Uh, it's about a teenager that navigates the complexities of high school, family, and her sexuality while dealing with new superpowers. And it's actually based on a Charles Farsman's graphic novel. And here's the thing. I, it, this thing stars the uh, girl who plays Beverly in Stephen King's It and the actor, the young actor who plays Stan in Stephen King's It. And he's actually playing Stan, like I mentioned before, in this show. And what I have to say is this. You can actually tell that, that she's actually struggling with her uh, the loss of her father and the way that her mom and her just don't jive up anymore. They don't really get along. You can actually tell there's some tension between them because none of them are communicating with each other or anything like that to understand that they're both struggling with this and they're not there for each other the way that they need to be there for each other. And then she also has a little brother too that's into this as well. And he just wants them to just to get along again and to be able to uh, see eye to eye again. And... Like I mentioned before, they're just not jiving up because their communication's not there. She misses her dad. The mother, it's been a year since the father's death. And the fact, too, is, you know, you have this struggle where they're not getting along. And the reason why they're not getting along is because they're not communicating with each other. And without no communication, it has a lot of, all your emotions are just built on this one thing. And before you know it, you wind up going off on the person. And that's exactly what is pretty much happening within this whole entire thing. And then she's also struggling with her sexuality as well. Wondering if she's straight. Wondering if she's gay. And everything else too. She winds up sleeping with Stan. And then she's also having feelings towards somebody else. And it's kind of a mixture of... She doesn't know, quite know what to do with herself. And not only that, but she's very awkward as well. Which is something that we have didn't really see in Stephen King's It. She actually plays awkward really nice. And I'm saying that because of the fact that... For example... And what I mean by that is the fact that... What I mean by... She plays awkward really well is the fact that... You know, when she's in a crowded room, she's, like, socially awkward around other people. The only people that she actually feels comfortable with is with Stan, and she's also comfortable with um, with her best friend. So I actually like that whole entire aspect is, yeah, she's she's awkward, but she also has other friends that she can actually connect with and actually go to if she's feeling having a bad day and everything else. But then... This whole entire supernatural element actually happens where she's actually getting some type of superpower. She doesn't know quite know what to do with it. She doesn't know how to control it or anything like that. She doesn't know why she has these super, like, powers or anything either. And, you know, all her frustrations, all her anger triggers that power. And when she triggers that power, when she's angry and everything, that's when, 
she either she throws bowling balls. That's when um, library shelves gets knocked down. That's also too when she actually snaps at her friends and stuff like that. It just turns into one big old huge mess to the point because she doesn't actually know how to actually express herself either. And then another thing too that I want to get to is this with Stan. And it's like, what year is it? Because of the fact that in one of the episodes, she goes over to Stan's house and Stan has like a VHS uh, VHS collection and everything. And as a matter of fact, it actually reminds you of a John Hughes type of thing. I'm going to get to that too. But it kind of reminds you of John Hughes's movies as, and everything where you have teens in this house and everything. And matter of fact, Stan's basement actually looks like something straight up from an 80s TV uh not TV show, but like an 80s movie where you have VHS tapes. You also have the vinyl collection and his headphones also feels like very uh, retro type of thing where you actually have him listening to records on vinyl. So I thought that was actually pretty cool to actually have in there. And then, you know, she actually tells him, she goes, you don't, she goes, nice VHS collection. And he, then he talks about the big old huge laser disc thing. So that makes me, it, it kind of combines in with a little bit of texting as well because they actually do have technology in this thing. But the basement setting is very different and everything, especially whenever his room is actually in the basement and it actually feels like an 80s retro style. Then you also go into the school and everything and there's a black and white board. That's in there. There's a chalkboard. Not only that, but it even feels like a John Hughes film because of the fact that they get in trouble for detention and they're in this library setting, or well, in this gym, and they all have detention together. So it feels like a Breakfast Club kind of vibe. The sunglasses that that Stan wears has a very 80s kind of look to it because of the... Um, 80s style haircut he has, the uh, not to mention the David Bowie song he actually listens to. He listens to a lot of 80s uh, genre music. Not only that, but this show also feels like Stranger Things in a sense because you actually have Eleven who's also socially awkward and also doesn't know what she's doing with her powers. And then the show is like seven minutes, uh, it's not seven minutes, but it's seven episodes long, seven episodes long. But it only sets up 20, it's between... 19 minutes and 24 minutes of each episode. So it's not very hard to actually get through or anything like that. But what I actually have to say is this. By the time you're actually done with this show and is the fact that it doesn't end the way that you think it's going to end. It doesn't have that nemesis of... so. Don't get me wrong. There is somebody following her. There is somebody that is actually there... And everything that actually has maybe the same powers that she has. But that unknown factor doesn't even... Get this. That's not even part of the whole entire Nemesis thing at all. That whole entire Nemesis thing looks like it's going to be played out in the second season. So the fact that they even didn't even reveal that part was actually pretty cool. That they actually left that kind of have like a little mystery type of feel to it. And, you know, I like that. I like what they did with that. And then also, too... They actually made us care about the characters as well. So the emotional attachment to the characters, if anything actually happened to some of the characters or whatever within this first season, which no one really actually died that you would actually care about within the friends of the Stephen King's it uh, actress or Stan and stuff like that. 
But something does majorly happen within the whole entire homecoming dance that actually feels like a carry kind of vibe to it. And I don't want to get into a spoiler with that because of the fact that once that scene actually happens, you're going to be shocked. Your mouth is going to be held open because of what happened. And you know what? That opening scene where she's all in blood and everything, you're wondering that whole entire mystery element to it as well. But once that actually happens, once that actually um, goes goes into the dance and everything, it does have that Carrie kind of feel to it from Stephen King because of the fact that the character's dress is all drenched in blood. You don't know why she's drenched in blood at the very beginning. And then once you figure out everything, you're okay, that's why she's drenched in blood. But the shock value of the very end of that whole entire episode of episode seven is gonna is just jaw dropping, and the writing I have to say is actually pretty decent for what it is and everything, especially for a limited series because it's only seven episodes. So I don't know if they think that it wasn't gonna be that successful, especially with them doing it between nineteen minutes to twenty four minutes of runtime of each episode, which is actually pretty cool because you know sometimes they certain episodes are there just for filler, sometimes they're just there just to key in on certain things, but each part of the show actually felt like it need it served a purpose, and the fact that you can actually relate to some of these characters in some kind of way if you actually follow through with that. Another thing, too, that I want to mention is the fact that her best friend is, you can actually care about the best, uh, one of her best friends, and this thing is she's actually dating this jock, and of course, the girl that plays Beverly does not like him because he's, number one, a jock, number one, a douchebag, because all he cares about is one thing and one thing is only. That's because of all what all ju- um, jocks actually think about. But, you know, this show is actually pretty well done. It's perfectly, I'm not going to say it's a perfect show, but, you know, they if you look for a good, not paint-by-the-numbers type of show where, you know, they do the same old thing where they reveal a... Um, they reveal a villain at the at the beginning of the season. You're not gonna get it from this season at all, and that's something that I like. I like that little mystery element there, and I'm glad that they didn't reveal that because it's a new way of storytelling. It's a new way to actually bring something out. So there's that. So that's gonna do it for me for today's podcast. I'm sorry that I'm delayed on some of the podcast episodes, stuff like that. Um, I don't mean to be or anything like that. It's just that work has really been in a strong process of getting used to uh, relearning certain things because of a takeover with my job and stuff like that. So I'm being retrained on some things. So if I'm not putting out that many episodes, that's why. But I'm going to try and put out as many episodes as I can. I'm st- And, of course, I'm still on fire for doing what I love doing. So, if you guys can, go on ahead, hit that subscribe button, share this video, smash that sh- share button, and tell me what you guys think about this episode. And until next time, bye-bye.